Welcome, and thank you for joining us today on the Leadership Cafe, where we talk to extraordinary people leading remarkable businesses. I'm your host, Richard Citron. My colleague, Michael Couch, is out today, so we miss him, but we will carry on in his stead. You know, it's been a most challenging 2020, and as we approach the end of the year, we want to find out how some of our most successful and thoughtful leaders have guided their teams through the challenges of the past six months and what they're anticipating going forward. But before we get too far along, we want to make sure and thank our sponsor, Vaco, a global talent solutions company. We really appreciate their support and sponsorship of the Leadership Cafe. Uh, but today, I'm, I'm really excited to uh, welcome our very special guest, Jessica Brooks, CEO and Executive Director of the Pittsburgh Business Group on Health. Jessica, thank you for joining us and welcome to the Leadership Cafe. Thank you, I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Well, Jessica and I know each other outside of the Leadership Cafe, so this should be a pretty easy conversation that we'll have. But Jessica, for our, for our listeners, can you share a little bit about uh, your background, your work with the Pittsburgh Business Group on Health and, and just what the heck is a business group on health as well? So get into that a little bit also, if you would. I'd love to. I'll start with my background. Um, I'll, I'm currently the CEO of the Pittsburgh Business Group One Health. Uh, it'll be seven years in November, um, officially uh, one one uh, seven years. Congratulations! And, yeah, I can't believe it. It's gone very quickly, and as you know, healthcare has been dynamic mm -hmm. every year um, with a new uh, change or or something uh, to deal with. So it's gone fast for sure. Um, prior to uh, the Pittsburgh Business Group One Health, I was with Highmark uh, here in Pittsburgh, and I was there for about six or seven years and worked uh, in the HR division in a variety of different roles from diversity and inclusion to change management, um, went through a lot of change there as an industry, um, came in from the defense industry from Lockheed Martin. Wow. So in uh, HR and the HR leadership development program, I was with them in both Syracuse, New York and Morristown, New Jersey, uh, but Pittsburgh is home. So I've been <laughs> home since 2013. And uh, of course, in all of that, met my husband and have four children. So very busy. You're um, a busy woman. <laughs> for sure. Uh, but the Pittsburgh Business Group One Health, we are an employer-led coalition. So what the heck is that? That's what your right. question is. Uh, well, we coalesce employers of all sizes uh, around the issues of healthcare and how and their role in particular in in providing access to healthcare um, for their organization's employees and the families that they cover. Uh, so, and we've been around for nearly 40 years. It'll be 40 years in 2021. Um, so, along for a long time, employers have been sponsoring healthcare. Um, we are the largest collectively. Um, uh, providers of access to healthcare insurance in the country, even bit more so than CMS. Um, over 170 million lives about are covered by employers. And so we have a subset of those employers, which are those either headquartered in Pittsburgh and Western PA, um, we're actually beyond the Pittsburgh MSA in Western Pennsylvania, um, or have a significant portion of their populations that are here um, by way of it's a national global organization that cares about what happens in the local dynamic market here, um, they would likely be a member of the Pittsburgh Business Group. Mm -hmm. And the notion of the Business Group on Health, you know, when we think about healthcare, we tend to think about providers, we tend to think about patients, we tend to think about um, insurance companies. 
uh, and people refer to the payers, and they usually refer to payers as the insurance company, but really the payers are the employers. The payers are the employers. And, and employees as well, of course. And employees. Oh, more so than ever. Um, yeah. That's that's yeah. really been the trend uh, for the past decade and a half is uh, the, the cost shifting to employees, which make um, employees just as much of a payer as anyone else. Um, and so you're correct. We often correct the industry when they mention that the health plan is the payer. And we say, actually, um, the employer is the payer and, and you help administer with they, the money that they pay um, into the system. And so then that's an important distinction because mm -hmm. there's power in that, right? When you are the purchaser and you realize you're the purchaser and you act like the purchaser, uh -huh. um, then you can set and demand ex uh, standards of care for what you're paying for. And that's what we do at PBGH. And oftentimes, because of how the system works, employers, although they're paying big bucks, our members alone, um, over five and a half billion dollars in healthcare spend, just with our 100 members in this region. Um, and now all that may not go to the health systems in this region as they have populations all over the country. Um, but with that said, that's over five and a half billion dollars, about two million lives or more wow. um, covered. And that's a significant responsibility. Absolutely. So talk a little bit about you as a leader. Uh, you know, so you've got a lot of high powered people in, in healthcare, uh, physician leaders, uh, the health system leaders, hospital system leaders. Uh, how do you, what's your leadership style? How do you, how do you navigate through all of that uh, in guiding uh, the organization and, and also in providing kind of the, uh, the leadership advice that, that you need to be to delving to be delving out so uh that's a good question as a leader to in the community um and i see myself as a steward um stewardship mm. is a big part of you know my what my leadership uh, is requires mm -hmm. in this role um advocacy and having a voice being clear on um what is the position uh, of the employer, of those that I am responsible for representing their voice. That's a big responsibility when you think of businesses, of private, public uh, sectors, government, academia, uh, manufacturing, finance industry, uh, tech industries. You know, there, you, the, you, it can be very different in how they may approach healthcare. Uh, so it's important for me to understand, well, what do you value? Um, what do you value in affordability? Do you value access? What does access mean to you? Uh, mm -hmm. Clarity is very important um, in my role and making sure that I understand that, but it has to bubble up because I represent a collective of purchasers. I re represent a collective of employers and, and mm. different, um, with different uh, priorities. And so and, uh, that listening to my members, understanding what's going on in the marketplace, not only um, what we're experiencing here locally, but what may be coming to us um, that someone else is experiencing in the world um, when it comes to healthcare. Um, being on top of the trends are important, um, also that I can be informed enough to be um, able to take that responsibility and that stewardship, and um, and and treat it with the regard that it should have. Mm -hmm. So you know, because healthcare is so disruptive. Uh, three trillion, trillion dollar industry, 18% of GDPs, we all know. Mm -hmm. um, we bring that down to the mi micro level, that's, you know, majority of people um, 
average people, your neighbors have less than $1,000 in the bank and we have average high deductible plans of $1,000. Mm. So you have a whole generation or generation Y um, basically almost being indentured servants in a way to healthcare and the way that it's going and how much of their paychecks and earned income will be going to healthcare premiums and costs. That's a major responsibility that we have. Um, and I take that on as a leader. And, that, and that's important to me um, to be able to understand that enough and not only look at the $13 trillion number, but really look at how people are impacted um, directly by, by that three, $13 trillion, three, um, $3 trillion industry. You know, you're really as a leader, Jessica, it seems that, you know, you said you really have to listen carefully to what your members say, but you also have to be giving them information. So you're kind of, you know, doing both sides of the equation. This, this issue of um, uh, the financial challenges for people, have those been exacerbated during the pandemic and have issues, the issues of racial equity and justice brought more of those to the forefront? We're certainly hearing about, you know, the, the, the greater uh, impact of the pandemic on, on communities of color uh, during this time. And I imagine healthcare, uh, particularly healthcare because of COVID and, and that's a population that, that's at greater risk. How, how does all that come into play and how do you approach that as a leader uh, in, uh, in trying to address those, kind, those issues and are people listening? Those are all great questions. And, and Sorry to make it too many. There's a lot there. <laughs> Remind me if I, if I miss something because I would love to touch on everything that you asked. Uh, so financially, um, how does, has the pandemic impacted people and when it comes to healthcare? Uh, significantly. Uh, we have millions of people laid off <laughs> of their jobs as a result of the pandemic and um, the, uh, you know, depending on which industry, some industries have thrived during this time, but the majority right. of people um, and industries are really working to survive right now. And um, I am proud of, of our member companies, however, in that they uh, have chosen where they could to furlough versus layoff. Mm. Um, so what does that mean when it comes to my work and in this discussion? When you furlough, you also have the opportunity to retain your benefits um, during that time. You may not have your paycheck. Um, you may not be getting that income in, but you all do have access to your benefit coverage uh, to be able to access health care if you need it during this time. And of course, in, during a pandemic, there's a good chance that you're going to need to, to access your health care. And I mentioned how much it's already costing um, and families and households. So having that opportunity to retain your benefits is significant. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we've highlighted during this time. We've um, encouraged employers who have taken that direction to ensure coverage, to share that with their peers, to be an example of leadership. Um, and, you know, and there's lots of ways you can um, address that as well. Some have remained, uh, maintained that they will not, when coming back to work, charge them back for their premiums that they covered during this time. Right. However, some employers will be charging back and that will be a significant burden on employees when they do come off a of furlough and will have to pay back back premiums and health coverage. Mm -hmm. um, as I mentioned, it's it's truly um, you know leading cause of bankruptcy for families. It's a it's a major financial concern. So from a pandemic right. perspective and healthcare um, and finances and families, those all have converged during this time in a major major way that I expect will have impacts um, lasting longer than what we can foresee right now. Right. Um, 
we also have uh, the, the social unrest and social justice issues um, launched by really um, George Floyd's murder on May 25th. However, as we all know, these are have been long lasting issues, right, for centuries, generations. Um, and so the convergence of where that aligns with healthcare is, has been very interesting um, and very real. So during the pandemic around April, we started hearing about major disparities in healthcare across um, the country in certain states, Michigan being one, New Orleans, where more African-Americans and brown people were contracting the virus COVID-19 and dying from that virus. Right. We've also learned over this time that um, those same black people and brown people are also dying at younger ages than their white counterparts. So 45, 55 from, from COVID-19. COVID and um, so that's a working age. That's an employer issue. <laughs> you can't, you know, you can't escape that. Right. Um, but why do those disparities exist? That that's, goes back to our historical issues of racism. Mm -hmm. And what is racism? How I define it is the lack of quality or denial of quality to access. Um, and uh, access to healthcare, mm. access to good housing, access to safe environments. You can go down a list, right? So when you talk about um, denying access to quality and that compounding over years, then you have food deserts, you have um, poor transportation routes, you have um, people not really able to get to higher paying jobs mm -hmm. due to a variety of different issues, education, and that all impacts your health. The, the the stress of that year over year, generation after generation passed down, comes to a point where a pandemic comes and you are faced with these compounding effects and now uh, you're vulnerable, more vulnerable than other people. And so that's what we're seeing in the data when we hear black and brown people are dying and contracting the virus at higher rates. Um, when we talk about... it's I just want to interrupt you for a second because what, what you hear about is that they have, you know, is that oftentimes black and brown people have these comorbidities, diabetes and other kinds of things. I think what, what the piece you're adding into it is the social determinants, so-called social determinants around things like housing, transportation access, educational experience that actually have set the foundation for a lot of these comorbidities. Is that a fair way of saying That's it? A fair way of saying it. That's yeah, exactly yeah. so it's not just a health, it's not just that somebody's not taking care of themselves. There's no fresh fruit in their neighborhood so they wind up eating bad food because they don't have choices. Right, that's one example. Another example is hypertension. That's one of the CDC has uh, identified that as a, a, a condition that makes you more vulnerable, um, susceptible to um, contracting COVID-19. Well, black people in, in this country have higher rates of hypertension. Um, you know, heart disease is one of the top um, reasons for death. But when you peel the onion back, why are black people um, contracting hypertension more than other people? Well, it's not, we have learned over time that it's been our genetics. Um, however, Africans in Africa have lower blood pressure than uh. black people in America. So then you go back to this um, where racism, social unrest, meets and health disparities, it is like a lot due to the compounding stress factors, worrying about when your husband leaves your ho his home and he's driving, if he'll get pulled over and if something of death will occur, if your kid goes to the basketball court and, and they're unsafe and they won't come back home. I mean, right. these are, you know, unique stressors that certain communities have more than others 
that lead to health conditions that make us more vulnerable. So it's mm -hmm. not always um, our choices as far as did we pick up an apple or a piece of candy, right? right? right. Um, it's very, it's much more complex than that. And, and when we simplify to the point of make smart choices, um, you're basically ignoring a reality that a community is, has been facing for a long, long time that's going to take much more than that to solve. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jessica, so what do you do as a leader then how do you approach that as a leader to get those messages out? Because that's a big that's a big deal. How do you uh, how do you approach that? Well, first, being willing to have the conversation. Um, so a report came out, Richard, in in September of 2019 in Pittsburgh. It was a race and uh, a gender and race uh, equity report commissioned by the city of Pittsburgh. However, it was. Um, produced at the uh, University of Pittsburgh by researchers at the University of, P of Pittsburgh. And that report um, really highlighted a variety of different areas that um, highlights disparities in this region uh, amongst black people and white people. And that report uh, across poverty, income, employment, and health um, basically had lower major disparities amongst those different demographics. And ultimately the conclusion was this is not the, a good high quality place to live for black people mm. in a variety of different areas. Health is what I honed in on because for obvious reasons. And, um, and so I took that report to my board immediately, my board of directors and said, there's no way that we um, can let this report go by and just be a report. What are we going to do and how are we going to be actively engaged and addressing health equity issues. And some of those health equity issues included um, black women maternal mortality rates, um, some of the highest in the country, mm -hmm. um, infant mortality, mortality rates amongst black babies, some of the highest and worst in the country, um, cardiovascular um, conditions and cancer rates, some of the worst in the country. Mm -hmm. And so employers have a direct responsibility in addressing health equity. And um, so came in the board, didn't blink. I mean, they were like, yes, this is exactly what we need to be doing, focusing on, but we just don't know how to do it. And <laughs> right. So 2019 was supposed to be our year of figuring it out, being intentional. Uh, we educate a lot about it. Uh, we, we've uh, created a whole educational series. In fact, we have a symposium just this coming Tuesday and Wednesday. Health equity is the leading topic. Our first keynote speaker will be talking about um, maternal mortality rates in the black community. Um, and we have a variety of other speakers that will be addressing health equity, along with mental health and quality care and safety of care. And so part of that is making a decision and being a, and, and being intentional about that, being unapologetic about issues that people don't want to talk about, but we have to to make a difference and willing to lead and being in the front for that. And so that's what 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 leadership has looked like for me in the in the way of health equity and and everything that we're facing now. Um, some would say I had a crystal ball, but I didn't. I had no clue COVID would actually um, come and then highlight major health disparities. So we came into 2020 already committed to health equity, and we started said we'll start somewhere. And so we mm -hmm. said we'll start with maternal mortality. Although you can you know. It could be my entire life career for the rest nice. of my life to focus on health equity when you think about all of the disparities that exist. But we said we'll take maternal and infant mortality in this region because those are working age mothers. They're in the workforce. These are things employers are already seeing and dealing with. They just don't know that they're seeing it um, in their claims data and their cost. 
um, when a mom doesn't come back to work um, and, and she may actually be gone, um, she may be dead. Mm. And so now we have to highlight that in a way that we can be intentional about addressing it and holding those accountable in our communities, the stakeholders, our health systems, our health insurers accountable to help us address it. So um, that's one of the ways that we're just being intentional about it and, and making sure we're educating, we're having direct conversations. I'm working on coalescing a, a number of other leaders in the region um, who can help me as an advisory board think through how to help their peers become even more engaged, this trickle effect um, right. is what I'm going after now. And then being um, vocal at a national level as well with all of my other uh, board organizations. Um, so. <laughs> You know, it's interesting, Jessica. One of the things that we've we've seen with people, uh, with many of the leaders we've talked to, is this question of uh, not so much what the pandemic has done to you, but what the pandemic has done for you. Uh, and I think you, know, as tragic as this has been uh, for many families and individuals and and companies and employees, uh, smart leaders have taken the opportunity to see where they can advance their agendas, advance the agendas of helping their their organizations, their their clients and customers, their partners, their communities uh, to make it better. And it's a, probably a painful way to have to go through it, but but I think it's sped up our recognition and awareness of those things. So perhaps in that way, it, it winds up being, a, I don't wanna say a bit of a blessing, that's not a fair way of saying it, but has helped advanced, advanced a lot of the causes that we need to be looking at. I totally agree, especially running a coalition. I mean, our aim has been Let's work together. Let's leverage our collective buying power. Let's leverage our collective um, experiences. Let's leverage our collective voices to drive impactful change that will last for generations, that are sustainable, that will help you employers stay in the business of being able to provide healthcare coverage um, or determine your role and how to do that most effectively. But honestly, for a long time and my entire tenure here, many employers still act very individual, even within the coalition. And um, COVID-19 has, mm. in a variety of different ways, really said that we're all in this together. We saw commercials about it, slogans, we are all in this together. And that made um, that, you know, this has made that a reality. We are all in this together. And so in a lot of ways, it's helped uh, me as a coalition leader and, and really sending that message that if we work together, if we come together, we'll be able to make change faster, good change faster happen. Um, we'll be able to help save lives or help the quality of lives of others if we come together. And so this has allowed us to do that. And that's been the blessing in disguise. Also, you know, we have a very unique diversified model at PBGH. So we do a lot of education, but we also have a group purchasing division um, that allows employers to actually put that into action. Mm -hmm. Well, like two weeks into the uh, pandemic, we had employers reach out saying, when are you going to be providing COVID-19 testing access? And we're like, you know, we hadn't thought about it. I mean, of course we had. Uh, uh, yeah. And, and you know, so next thing you know, we're leveraging our model, and we're. I'm on calls with people in China, looking at helmets, thermometer helmets at 10 p.m. at night. Things I've never done in my life. <laughs> um, working with folks in California, and, and it's uh, eight o'clock my time, but five o'clock their time on how right. to uh, masks here into our region and connecting employers to PPE. And um, so this one helped, it was good to hear that our members expected us to play an active role to help them, but it was even more um, rewarding to be able to play an active role in helping them 
And so we're now, I, I said, you know, we, we experienced the pandemic, but we're kind of in the business of COVID in a way, um, by way of being in the, playing the role of facilitating and helping to procure necessary equipment to keep people safe um, in their workplaces and getting back to work and being able to stay at work. So you're right, and in a lot of ways, um, we've there's definitely silver lining. There's been blessings that have come out of this that I hope will last, including we are all in this together. And that includes the convergence of a pandemic like COVID and the pandemic of racism, which um, ultimately leads to our agenda around equity, health equity, mental health parity and mental health equity, as well as quality and safety and care. Um, we have to be all in this together to really address those big, big issues that we're facing. Well, Jessica Brooks, CEO of Pittsburgh Business Group on Health, thank you for joining me today on the Leadership Cafe. I think, you know, you are a leader who is, is setting standards at the top, but you're not afraid to get in there and do what you have to do as well. So thank you for your contributions uh, that's for the to the community as well as to your to your employer uh, partners. Uh, Jessica, what's a great way, what, what's a good way for people to reach out to you, reach out to PBGH? Can you share a little bit about their or your your uh, your your web information. Sure, I'd love to. Please, we actually have a new updated website, so I'd Yay. love to join and check it out at www.pbghpa.org. Uh, please check out our website, and um, if you are available, um, come to one of our educational events. We have a lot of educational events throughout the year, and that's all listed on our website. And those are oh, those are probably virtual right now, so people can go to them from anywhere in the country. Anywhere in the country, your our uh, education world. is borderless. So borderless. Um, these, <laughs> please uh, join us from wherever you are. So if you're extraterrestrial, you can even get it on it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so Jessica, as a thank you. I know you have a couple of copies of this, but we're going to be making sure you get another copy uh, to share, perhaps with one of your member clients. Uh, our book, Strategy Driven Leadership. Uh, we want to thank again our sponsor, Vaco, for helping make the Leadership Cafe an important place to meet such amazing leaders like Jessica Brooks. Uh, remember, you can listen to this podcast on mine and Michael's website, as well as the Vaco website, vaco.com. Uh, you'll also see it posted on LinkedIn, hopefully on the PBGH website and on Spotify and Pocket Casts. We want to thank our producer, director extraordinaire, Michelle Jaroszewski, for providing such amazing support for us. And for all of us at the Leadership Cafe, we want to thank Jessica Brooks for joining us and we'll see you next time.